Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Geopolitical Report podcast for March 28, 2022. I'm Phil Adler. The announcement by various countries that they'll bulk up defense spending in the wake of the Ukraine war has investment implications as well as geopolitical ones. Confluence market strategist Patrick Fearon-Hernandez joins us today to discuss some of them. Patrick, just how widespread and dramatic are these defense-related announcements? Well, hi, Phil. First, thanks for having me on the show. To answer your question, the trend towards higher defense spending is very widespread indeed. Not only is the U.S. starting to ramp up its defense budget, but so are many of the biggest European countries, including Germany, Sweden, Denmark. In fact, it's a global trend. Countries like Japan and Australia have increased their investments in defense, in large part because of the new geopolitical aggressiveness of China. Nevertheless, the sudden increase in military spending is most noticeable and dramatic among the NATO countries, and that's where we've been focusing our research in this area. Well, given that very few things are certain in this world, can investors be reasonably confident that these newly announced spending priorities will be actually realized? We think higher defense budgets are here to stay. For one thing, many of NATO's European members had already started to boost their military spending in recent years following Russia's annexation of Crimea and its role in sparking a separatist movement in eastern Ukraine back in 2014. That had already been enough to get the Europeans' attention. Now, with Russia's massive invasion of Ukraine proper, it appears that every NATO government has woken up to the danger posed by President Putin. You can see that in the way so many NATO countries have responded to the invasion by shipping weapons to Ukraine. We think the NATO countries are now just as unified in their desire to modernize and strengthen their armed forces again. The shock of the invasion has been so great that we think the NATO countries generally will fall through and keep their military budgets high for many years into the future. Well, let's look at how we stand going into all this. How does U.S. spending on defense today compare to times in the past? In round numbers, the U.S. is currently spending about $750 billion per year on defense, roughly equal to $2,200 per resident. As large as that number is, it isn't a record. After stripping out inflation, it's several percentage points below the peak year of 2010, when the U.S. was in full-scale war against Taliban insurgents in Afghanistan. Current U.S. defense spending is actually far below the levels when measured as a share of the economy. Current defense spending is a bit below 4% of gross domestic product, or or GDP. During the big military buildup under President Reagan in the 1980s, the defense burden had gotten up to about 6% of GDP. And in the early years of the Cold War, when the U.S. was struggling to respond to the military threat from the Soviet Union, our defense burden was even higher. Even in the peacetime years of 1956 to 1965, our defense spending averaged 9.1% of GDP. How about Europe? How does defense spending in European countries compare, say, to the United States? 
The other NATO countries all have much smaller economies than the U.S. does, and they don't have the same scale of global interests and responsibilities that the U.S. does in its role as global hegemon. Therefore, they all have defense budgets that are much smaller than the U.S. in dollar terms. In fact, the total military outlays by the non-U.S. members of NATO total a bit less than half the U.S. spending. Similarly, defense spending by the non-U.S members of the alliance comes to less than 2% of their GDP. That 2% figure is the standard that each NATO member is expected to spend, but only about one-third of them actually reach it. Almost two-thirds of the NATO countries are currently failing to spend 2% of their GDP on defense. How about the Far East, countries like China, Australia, and Japan? It's a very similar story for them. Data from the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute estimates that China spends about 1.7% of its GDP on defense, although I and other analysts suspect that the true spending is even greater than that. Among U.S. allies in the Asia-Pacific region, Japan by law limits its military spending to 1% of GDP, but it has signaled that it may increase that limit in the near future. Australia, New Zealand, Zealand and South Korea all spend between 1.5% and 2.8% of their GDP on defense. In other words, faced with a more threatening China, they have plenty of room to increase their military budgets in the coming years. And the numbers on Europe are similar. Those countries, it would seem, have plenty of room to grow their defense budgets. Is defense spending detrimental or beneficial to a country's economy? Actually, that's a question that was a big part of my focus when I worked as an intelligence analyst at the CIA early in my career. My branch at the agency focused entirely on the interplay between Russia's military activity and its economy. In our analysis, which I've replicated several times in subsequent years, we showed that defense spending only impinges on economic growth when it's above 10% or so of GDP. In the late 1980s, we estimated that Soviet defense burden was between 15 and 18 percent of GDP, which helps explain why the USSR imploded. But for our purposes here, the analysis uh, shows that if the defense burden remains below 10 percent of GDP, there's actually a positive correlation between defense spending and economic growth. In other words, high defense spending tends to go along with high rates of economic growth. And some economists outside the CIA have found the same thing. Of course, it's hard to prove that high defense spending causes high economic growth, but I suspect that it can. For example, the threat of attack can justify investments in new infrastructure and technologies that otherwise wouldn't get funded. Higher defense spending can also make fuller use of underutilized resources. But the bottom line is that the defense spending hikes that we expect to see are more likely to be associated with good economic growth rather than weaker growth. But are areas like social services likely to suffer if defense spending rises? 
To some extent, yes. If Congress wants to limit overall spending, then hiking the defense budget could well require cutbacks in some civilian spending, like social services. There could indeed be some trade-offs. But again, defense-related investment may offer greater net benefits than the programs that are cut. That would certainly be the case if our increased investment in defense discourages Russia or China from seizing control of key allies, disrupting our vital trade flows or otherwise undermining the rules-based international order. Patrick, uh, it's easy to see that increased defense spending should benefit corporations that manufacture weapons like missiles and aircraft. How about technology companies? How much could technology companies benefit? We think tech firms could be a major beneficiary as well. It's important to remember that today's advanced weaponry and military operations are very dependent on data processing of one sort or another. For that reason, new weapon systems and increased operating tempos will probably require lots of new semiconductors, computers, sensors, software, and the like. And of course, modern warfare could well include cyber attacks. So another technology area that might benefit would be cybersecurity. Are there other sectors that stand to benefit overall from increased defense spending? Bigger military forces and higher operations and maintenance spending will likely give a boost to a range of other businesses that support the defense sector, including the makers of vehicles and spare parts, fuel providers, uranium miners, and the like. All these industries could enjoy an especially prolonged period of good sales if defense spending hikes spark a global self-reinforcing arms race. So what are the portfolio asset allocation implications of increased defense spending in the U.S. and around the world? Well, as you might gather from what I said earlier, we think the industrial sectors, traditional defense industry firms, and some parts of the information technology sector will likely benefit from a persistent worldwide uptick in military spending. More broadly, industries producing dual-use goods and services uh, for both military and civilian customers could see increased sales and profits. So these are the industries we would overweight. Some commodities and commodity producers could also benefit and warrant increased allocations, such as crude oil or uranium miners. Of course, increased defense spending could lead to bigger government budget deficits, falling bond values and higher interest rates, so we think the new environment is probably an additional reason to underweight bonds. Patrick, it strikes me that the Ukraine war may accelerate certain foreign policy aims of the United States, including the ability to focus more resources on China as Europe shoulders more of its defense needs. What do you think? This will actually be one of the key challenges for the U.S. In contrast with the early years of the Cold War, the European allies are now much richer and capable, and so they can and should contribute more to NATO's defense. On the other hand, the U.S. still has the largest economy in the alliance, so will be indispensable to really strengthening NATO's defense capabilities. Indeed, I think the U.S. should want to remain the leader of the alliance rather than stepping back and becoming second fiddle to countries like Germany or France. That means that the crisis may make it much harder to pivot our military toward China and the Indo-Pacific region. But again, that's just another reason to think that we may need a prolonged increase in the defense budget. 
Thank you, Patrick. And uh, thank you also to all of the experts at Confluence for the very timely and incisive Ukraine updates that I read every day in the Confluence morning comment that's delivered to my inbox. To our listeners, you can subscribe to Confluence written reports by clicking on the subscribe button on the front page of confluenceim.com. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.